0: Welcome to the December 2006 podcast of Ordinary Means. Uh, You'll find us on the web at OrdinaryMeans.com. I'm your host, Sean Nolan. Uh, sitting here at the table with Matt Bowling. Hey, Sean. Hey, Matt. How are you doing today? Doing all right, oh, thanks. Very good. Merry Christmas. Oh, thank
1: you. Uh, I'm you're, looking forward you're, to it, You're show?
0: welcome. Yes, do you have the Christmas lights up yet? No, not quite yet. Of course not yet, because this podcast is actually <laughs> being recorded in November, <laughs> and we're not like those crazy people who've had their Christmas lights up since Halloween. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, what we'd like to do this, this month is pick up on a conversation that we began last month and that was a conversation on preparing for worship. Uh that time, we uh, asked the question, have you ever heard of preparing for worship? Most people uh, go to bed on Saturday night and start thinking about worship when they wake up on Sunday morning. Uh, but I hope we've inspired you to think a little bit more about that, to think about the fact that preparing for worship is something that we do every day. And we reminded you that uh, just being in the Word is something that prepares you for worship. Just thinking about the character of God, the nature of God, uh, having family worship with your family during the week, uh, singing with Him as a family, all of those things, uh, praying during the week, all those things come together uh, to supplement and to infuse uh, what is Sunday worship with its, its with its vibrance. Uh, we are coming together on Sunday morning as a group of people from everywhere. We've been in different life situations, we've been through different struggles, uh, different temptations, uh, different uh, victories throughout the week that God has brought us through, and now on Sunday morning we come together as the corporate body, as the gathered people of God, as the assembly of God, the very word for church that we have in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia, which is the word uh, used in the Greek Old Testament for the assembly of <clears throat> excuse me, for the assembly of the people. Uh, so when we gather together on Sunday morning, that's a special thing. It's where God is bringing together people from all over the place, all different situations, to worship Him. And the way you've spent your week really contributes to how much you benefit and how much others benefit uh, from that gathering on Sunday morning. Uh, Matt, do you want to add anything to that by way of review?
1: Yeah, I was just, um, I was just recalling one of the things that I've run into as a pastor, and um, you know, certainly the, the 90s we talked about before, were the era of the worship wars, 80s and 90s. And I think that one of the reasons uh, that that happened, one of the reasons why there has been uh, a transition, uh, if you will, from the pastor leading worship to having worship leaders who can bring us into the presence of God. Um, that's a common phrase that you hear, is that somebody somebody has the ability to bring us into the presence of God. Uh, as I've taught about that in my congregation and thought about it, uh, I think a much better way for us to think about it is that we bring the presence of God with us. Is that it's not something that's manufactured. It's something that's gathered. And we either come together ready to worship, or we look to somebody else because we're not ready, and we need them to pump us up to get ready.
0: Classically, the prayer at the beginning of a worship service was called the prayer of invocation, uh, invoking the Spirit's presence. But the way the way you put it, uh, it's really seeing that prayer as saying, you, Spirit of God, who has been at work, in the lives of these people throughout the week, now come and be present here in a special way. And, and that you're absolutely right. That's a wonderful way uh, to look at it. That's a true way uh, to look at it. And that breaks down that burial, barrier wall between worship the other six days and worship absolutely. on Sunday.
1: Absolutely. There's, a, there's an intimate connection between the two of them. That's what you are trying to say last month. And we recognize that in our churches, hopefully, there's many people who are new believers that are just trying to get the hang of this. But one of the things that we ought to look at is part of the beginning discipleship. Not something far down the road. Not something that's a fine point of theology that we might take years to get to with people. But how to profit, how to honor God and have it be a blessing for each individual believer to come to worship is of tantamount importance. It ought to be at the beginning of our discipleship. To help people see that they come prepared, that the minister's job, or if your church does have a worship leader, it's not—that's that I don't think that's unbiblical, but the concept is, it's not his job to get you into God's presence. It's your job to bring God's presence with you, so that when you gather, the atmosphere of the congregation is we have this view of anticipation, because we have seen what God has done in us throughout the week, and we anticipate what he might do amongst us uh, on Sunday,
0: I hope I hope our listeners are seeing uh, a real balance in what we're saying here is in that we are not uh, exalting the Sunday morning worship service to the point of saying uh, what you do during the week isn't worship uh, but at the same time we're not exalting what you do during the week to say that Sunday is not important. Uh, the Scripture keeps that balance, and I think that's something very important that we get uh, as believers. As you said, it should be the very beginning of discipleship, is seeing that both that we worship both in all of life and on Sunday morning, and that the two uh, work together in the Christian life. Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. Now, would I be uh, contradicting what I just said, Matt, if I were to say that... The preaching of the word on Sunday morning is central to Christian growth.
1: No, absolutely not. But I don't think it'd be contradictory at all because that's precisely the way that God sets it up. This is why he has given to the church pastors and teachers. It's why in First Timothy 5, we just looked at this in my congregation recently, he puts some uh, in a church who especially have the role of preaching and teaching. Why? So that the people might hear from God. And so God has a design for what the assembly of the people on his day is supposed to produce in the life of the people of God. And so it's central. It's absolutely central. We ran into this sometimes Sean and I did, in ministering to college students, and especially where you have vibrant college ministries that meet during the week. Sometimes there's a battle. Students have chosen to be so busy That you can have the Thursday night big group with the campus meeting, um, with the campus ministry, or Sunday morning, and they think that it's one or the other. When it ought to be that Sunday's non-negotiable and Thursday's negotiable. And we've missed sometimes that while God works in small and large group Bible studies, in individual Bible study, in the fellowship of the people throughout the week, he absolutely works there. The same spirits at work, the same word is there. But there isn't. Always, the preacher, teacher, and the assembly, of the people, and the presence of the Spirit of God, uh, working in that way that God set apart.
0: In Romans ten, uh, talking about the role of the preacher, uh, it asks uh, Romans asks or the, or the Apostle Paul asks the question: How then uh, will will they that is that is believers um, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Uh, how will they not believe in you him? Meant to say unbelievers. I, I meant unbelievers. Um, those, who are, those who are coming to belief, how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Uh, however, they do not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Uh, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So that is where our faith is built up. Uh, how often I mean, how often do we repeat the, the old joke that you know, we come back on Sunday morning and who can actually tell the pastor what he preached on last Sunday morning? Or maybe if the pastor called you on Monday morning, would you be able to tell him what he preached on the day before? And yet what we're suggesting here is that you're so focused on that worship and, and that part of the service, the preaching, that you are then taking that and applying it to your life Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, to the point that the Spirit has worked so much through that through that word during the week that you come back the next Sunday and you you're ready to receive more and grow more. That, that is the key to discipleship.
1: Well, I think it is, and I think that sometimes the reason I have a little dictum that I just realized that somebody else has uh, put in different words, but I, it, it continues to reveal itself as more true. The kind of gospel that we've believed is the kind of disciple we become. And so if the kind of gospel that you heard, James was Boyce, was Boyce say that? Yes. Okay. I didn't know that. That's interesting. That's into somebody else. But if the kind of gospel that you've come to believe, I was listening to a preacher on my way driving here uh, to our time today, who talks about that a lot of the, the gospel that people have heard is uh, open your heart to Jesus. And so if that's the kind of gospel that you heard, what you envision being a disciple of Christ is like, is though, as though sometime in the past I've opened my heart to Jesus. Now, that's, that's not a, a biblical gospel. You can't find that anywhere in the scriptures. What the biblical gospel is, is repent and believe. And that those in the, when you see those in the scriptures, those are in the present tense. They're continuing actions. Spurgeon called it the, it's not as much of an act in the, of a moment, but the acquisition of a lifestyle. And so if the way that you envision Christian discipleship is not something primarily about what happened in the past, but instead is primarily about me today, repenting in new ways and believing anew upon Christ, then I sense that what being a disciple is about is constant growth. It's week by week growth that I am coming on Sunday because I need to grow. There's things I don't know yet even if I've been in the faith for 50, 60, 70 years. There's yet more that God wants to teach me, and so I come anticipating, expecting, that God, by His Spirit, through His Word, is going to grow me.
0: Many of the evangelistic programs of the last few, few decades have emphasized that that momentary experience because that's been their goal. Their goal has been uh, to see to see people make a decision for Christ. Mm-hmm. And when we focus our gospel on that singular decision, we lose sight of the fact uh, that, as you're saying, Matt, the gospel is all of life. It is the acquisition of a lifestyle, and we need to get back to that. Absolutely. And that's what we're, what we're doing here. That's what we're doing with the Ordinary Means podcast, uh, is getting back to seeing that these ordinary means, uh, the word... Prayer, the sacraments are a continual part of our repenting and believing. They're the they're the tools in the toolbox, if you will, of that God is using to bring us to greater greater uh, discipleship.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Well, the question before us this morning. Uh, last month we talked about uh, preparing for worship by our weekly activities, what we do during the week, Monday through Saturday. What we want to do this morning. Uh, this morning, I'm so used to saying that. Uh, what we're going to do this month is say is look at uh, a more specific picture, and that is how do you prepare to hear the preaching of the word? How do you prepare to receive what Romans 10:17 tells us is the way that faith comes to us? How do we do that specifically on Sunday? Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe the question we need to ask as we come at it from that angle is why preaching why are we saying why are we focusing on preaching why aren't we focusing on the prayers that we offer on Sunday morning which is certainly important mm-hmm. they're certainly influenced by the prayers we pray throughout the week uh, why are we not emphasizing the singing we do mm-hmm. on Sunday morning certainly we should be singing throughout the week uh, particularly as a family uh, we really encourage that that families be singing together but but when we talk about what we're coming for on Sunday morning we're saying we're coming, and we need to prepare to hear the preaching of the word. Why is that?
1: Well, the Belgic Confession I think puts this best, which is just to say that when preaching is um, true to the Scriptures, it is the Word of God. And so, if your desire as an authentic Christian, if your desire is to have an encounter with God, then preaching is the place to find it.
0: Now, I I hope if there are any pastors listening that they shudder at that statement (laughs) from the Belgic Confession, that when you preach, it is to the people by the power of the Spirit, it is the Word of God.
1: Absolutely. It's as though God were there himself speaking, which is a very sobering thing as a preacher. I think that's why James comes along in James chapter 3, and I think it's verse 1, and he says that teachers are going to be held a lot more accountable because of what they do, because they stand there in God's place. Now, one of the reasons that we're encouraging this preparation is because if God is there speaking, then we had best be there listening. And so this is something not... uh, Hopefully our service is full of the Word. It's full of it in the prayers. It's full of it in the songs. Uh, The Word is, is everywhere in our services, but especially in the preaching. We come and we hear God speak applied in particular to our church in this time, in this place, and how God would take his word and he would transform us today in the 21st century.
0: Even, even the sacraments, which are so crucial to worship, mm-hmm. uh, that the, the presence of the table there in worship is very, very important. That's where we renew our covenant with Christ. Even that, though, does not mean anything apart from the preaching of the Word. It's the preaching of the Word that gives everything else in
1: the worship service meaning. Absolutely. It's what the worship service looks forward to and reflects on. It's the reason that we typically come to the table after the sermon, is that the sermon has renewed our interest in Christ. It's reminded us, uh, uh, Brian Chappell I think very helpfully puts it, each text in the scriptures, shows us in some way or another what our need of Christ is. And so hopefully each sermon is pushing us back to Christ and we come to that table and we say, yes, Christ, I need you. That's why I come and I take you in my hand. How much do I need to grasp you that I'll, I'll take your symbols in my hand?
0: What, what would the church be like if its people, if our congregations... Uh, if our pastors spent more time focusing on, uh, on the preaching during the week, on thinking about uh, what was coming, on praying for the pastors, uh, Jay Adams, in his little book, and I cannot recommend this book enough, um, it's called A Consumer's Guide to Preaching. have to get it used. You have to get it used. It is out of print. Uh, the subtitle is How to Get the Most Out of a
1: Sermon. Sean, do we do have we on the website those typical sites that we tell people to go get used books at? Do you have links to those?
0: Uh, you know, I get most of mine these days through um, either a Libris.com or through the Amazon Marketplace. Okay. One another of those two, you can usually find it. Yep. Uh, another good one is addall, com has a used search engine that will find your book for you, uh, a great resource on the web. Um, but this book, uh, written by Jay Adams, is just a marvelously helpful book, and the entire book is about how can I get more out of the sermons I'm hearing, and he has a great little story uh, that he tells towards the beginning of the book. Uh, it's a story that comes from the Welsh revival of 1859, uh, where a preacher was visiting with a friend of his, a his fellow pastor, and the preacher says to his, to his friend, he says, I think Pastor Johnson... I think that the ministers are all preaching a great deal better than they used to. And Pastor Johnson replies, he says, well, perhaps the people are hearing a good deal better than they used to. Well, that may be, says the first preacher, but I think they ought to preach a good deal better. The second pastor asks, well, why so? And his answer is, because the people are all now praying for their ministers. Hmm. So it's a two-way street. Absolutely. When we come to the preaching of the Word, uh, if we're not getting out of it, which we should get out of it, that, that question gets bantered back and forth, and I see it a lot come up on blogs, where we're talking about, you know, am I getting something out of my sermon? And, and the typical response is, well, it's not about you getting something out of the sermon. Uh, you know, it's about you listening to God and, and you giving to God your worship. And, well, the fact is, it's a two-way street. God does give to us. God does bless us as we faithfully hear his word. Uh, but we also give back to him as we now live our life, the other six days, we live our life as a reflection of what God has taught us in the preached word. So are you praying? <laughs> are you praying for your preacher? Six days. Six days. Yeah. Seven. Yay, yeah, even seven. Yay, even seven. Yeah. Even seven. yeah. Are, you, are, you pre- are you praying for your preacher? Are you preparing to hear what he has to say? And that preparation, as we've said, begins during the week, but it also begins the moment you walk in to the worship service on Sunday morning. Uh, what's the first thing that happens when you come on Sunday morning? You, you come you get come in the building. you're usually greeted. most churches have greeters. Uh, what is central to those greetings? What is central to those first conversations you have as you walk through the building? You know, hey, hey, Joe, how was work this week? Uh, you know, is that is that the center of our conversations on Sunday morning? Or is it it's good to be back with you? Are you ready? Are you ready to meet with God this morning? And, you know, that can sound a little hokey, Right. I mean, I've we've we've been there, we've had the, it sounds kind of hokey, we're not used to it, but why aren't we used to saying that on Sunday morning? Why aren't we used to saying, so Joe, what's the Lord been doing in your life this week? What scriptures has he been bringing to your mind this week to particularly teach you? Why aren't we used to that? Well, I would argue it's because we're not spending the other six days in worship.
1: It's an embarrassing question, we wouldn't want somebody to ask
0: us. Ah, puts us on the spot, doesn't it? Right. But that's where it begins, with the greeting. Does the greeting lead you into the presence of God, or does the greeting take you back to the other six days? And if it does take you back to the other six days, well, then what was the focus of those other six days? Was it work? Was it play? Was it ministry to unbelieving people? Was it worship? Which ministry to unbelieving people is worship? If we're thinking about God every day... Uh, coming in the morning on Sunday is going to be
1: different. It should be more natural for our conversation to revolve around God and to have an anticipation. If he has worked in us through his word by his spirit during the week, then we certainly have a good assurance that he might do it on Sunday as well.
0: So we come in the building, we greet one another, uh, we're excited, we come with joy. I I think of the, uh, in the Old Testament, the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, The Psalms of Ascent were the psalms that the people sang as they gathered essentially to go up the hill to Jerusalem. They were coming from all over Israel. They were coming for the feasts and the festivals and uh, those key ones, and they would get to the the bottom of the hill at jerusalem and suddenly they'd start meeting their old friends they haven't seen them since the last feast and so they're they're talking they're laughing together they're they're rejoicing here we are to offer our sacrifice here we are to to repent in a very physical way isn't this exciting here we are to lay the sins of our family upon the head of the of the goat or the lamb and so then they're they're going up the hill and hear the songs you hear those psalms of ascent rising up in the uh with the voices of the people saying isn't it good to be here uh you're i can you're turning here you looking up one of the
1: psalms of ascent no i'm not I, i'm just i'm i'm ahead of you i'm um i'm thinking about what what would you do once you first got into the pew so well, I'm yeah sur- what what are you doing if if well, we're
0: ascending I, the hill of the
1: lord I, the service hasn't started yet What what should we be doing? Well, I think that one of the things that's been lost in the American church, uh, because it's very comfortable for us, we're not used to ever having a moment of quiet in our lives.
0: Hold on, Matt. I couldn't hear you. I need to turn my iPod off.
1: (laughs) We're, We're never used to having any silence for any protracted interval. It's very odd, almost creepy to us. And yet... Um, there's a sense in which, in order to, to tremble before the Lord with joy, that's the, that's the balance of Psalm 2, is that worship is a trembling with joy. It's, it's neither a, a joy that's apart from reverence nor a reverence that's apart from joy. It's a trembling with joy. And in order to have that, that's, it's a very unnatural. And so we, we have to, uh, I think we've got to not create it, but we have to seek it. And one of the ways I think that, that we do that is by having um, time before the service, not just to chat, but that we uh, have built in um, a time before worship starts where people can go and they can, um, they can sit in the pew. They can look over the bulletin. They can see what's coming ahead so that they're not uh, consumed with the details of participating. But instead, if your service is similar to each week, then, then it's not a struggle for people to participate. They just need a little bit of uh, pointing in the right direction. And then I think that each of us probably has favorite scripture passages that, that I call reset buttons that put us back into remembering who we are and who God is and put us in the posture Uh, To worship, I'll give you two of my favorites. Um, My favorite, no holds barred, is Isaiah 40. There is nothing like reading Isaiah 40 um, to put me back into the balance. Of the importance of the word, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. That's verse 8. That we're adopted into God's family. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. That's that's what God's doing in our worship, what he wants to do by the word. He's shepherding us. He's shepherding us, lovingly, gently gathering us. But who is this one that gently gathered us? Well, he's the one who, who measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, marks off the heavens with the breadth of his hand, held the dust of the earth in a basket. No one can understand his mind. No one's instructed him as a counselor. No one's enlightened him. No one's taught him the right way. No one's taught him the knowledge or showed him the path of understanding. And it goes on and on and on and on. And uh, another one that I, that I love and I've used over the years is Psalm 139 is very personal. Sometimes I think when we come into corporate worship, we sense that it's less us personally transacting. It's not that. It's that together, as a one person, as a body, we're transacting together with God. We're worshiping Him together. And what's true, what we see in Psalm 139, uh, about our being made uh, individually by God and loved by Him, is wonderful to restore in our minds that we come before someone who's glorious, but who knows us intimately for our good. Um, and so you, you need those passages that are reset buttons that put you back in the, in the frame of reference to worship. I think that's one of the things.
0: You know, it's ironic, the providence here. I was just reading, probably an hour ago, I was reading an uh, article by Derek Thomas on preaching through big books which is uh which is often difficult for a preacher, and one of the points that he made, it's ironic because you bring up isaiah forty right and and the comfort that Isaiah forty gives and he he made the point, he used the illustration that you don't always have to preach through a big book. Uh, consecutively. Now that that could be a little bit uh, touchy for some some of the people out there who are saying, "No, you got to preach, you know, exegetically consecutively through books." Uh, but Derek Thomas gave the um, illustration of one point where his church had gone through a huge struggle, and they needed that. What, you, what you're saying, they needed to be reset. Hmm. And he said, "So what he did is he he began to preach uh, through Isaiah, but he started in 40." And then, he, then he, he went back. But he, he started with... Because he, before 40, I mean, you're talking about the woes. Oh, yeah, for, it's depressing. tens of chapters is woe, whoa, 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 And it, that's that can be hard. That can be hard to take. Uh, but we need to preach through those. Right. Um, but what do your people need? And that's the question for pastors, is where are your people at? What do they need to be hearing in the preaching? Uh, we could do a whole series of podcasts just on what the preacher needs to be doing for preparation to give the ordinary means, and, mm-hmm. and I certainly think we could get there. But here, thinking about the person in the pew, what do they need to do? I, I think you're right. I think we need, to, we need to reset, but we need to have those reset buttons because we've been using them throughout the week, because it's a part of our, our lifestyle. You mentioned silence. Silence is a means of grace. Silence would go hand in hand with uh, what David calls meditation—you mm-hmm. know, thinking deeply, uh, hiding the word of God in your heart.
1: Perhaps if, your church has at the top of the bolts, and some churches do this. Ours doesn't, but but a, a quote or a scripture or something that is there for you to take up before the service starts and to meditate upon. And many churches do that uh, intentionally, because worship. Uh, um, Now, you may think I'm crazy right after I say this, but just stick with me. Worship is intense. It's probably one of the most intensely, one of the most intense concentrations that you do in a week in order to really engage in worship. And I think one of the dangerous things that has transpired in the last 15 years or so in worship is trying to make it easy for people to worship. When by nature, because we, uh, by our fallen nature, we run away from God, we ought to expect that worship is going to be a little bit of a conflict. That there we are going to be confronted with the Word. We're going to hear a gospel that's foolishness. And, w- and we're going to hear a Word that challenges us. We're going to be called to confess things and to sing things that may not have been true of the way that we lived. And it's very easy for us to let things cross over our lips, but not have the engagement of our mind and our hearts. And so this meditation time before the service is to really help us, if you will, come before God and say, grip me anew with your worthiness to be worshipped and my unworthiness to worship, so that I might worship and I might hear from you again.
0: Another aspect we've we've got to add into that is that when we do come, we admit our unworthiness to be there. Uh, we come as a people who, by nature, we are caught up in the things of our life. Uh, we are caught up in things, you know, we're wondering how in the world uh, is... I'm preaching through Ruth right now. I'm sure there are people sitting there in the pew. They come in, they say, "How on earth is reading the sappy love story in the Old Testament have anything to do with what I'm facing during the week?" Come on, I'm already married. You know, I'm not looking. You know, I'm not looking for a woman or a man in my life. I'm sure there are people in our congregation who are thinking that. And yet, what each of us needs to do as we come, as we sit down in the pew, is we need to say, "Okay, God." No matter what's being preached on, get rid of my preconceived notions. Humble me, so that I might receive your word. Bow my knee right now. Uh, you know, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with greeting one another in the morning. I think it's exciting. You haven't seen each other all week. A lot of a lot of the people who are coming, you haven't seen them since last Sunday. Right. And so coming together is a joyous thing. But there needs to be a break at some point. Uh, what we've done is we've actually put in uh, between the welcome and announcements. When people get there, they, they talk, they greet. Uh, then we welcome them from the pulpit. We make some announcements. And then we have quiet. We've actually asked our pianist not to play. And it's just it's that scary time of quiet, which, by the way, isn't scary if you take time during the week to find quiet, and you're going to have to discipline yourself to do it. You're going to have to, to carve it out of your week because it's not going to be easy. Uh, I know one of my biggest uh, things is always on internet. It, it's always there. I mean, I might be sitting quietly in my office uh, reading my Bible, and all of a sudden, you know what happens? You've got mail you know, or a bing or whatever your sound is, your computer cries out to you, stop being quiet, you know, stop, stop uh, resting in the Lord, come and uh, somebody analyzed it. They said it's it's every 18 seconds or they they came up with a number for how often we are disrupted during our day. I know, Matt, you and I were talking about this and you were telling me you actually get more done If you purposely close your email program and only open it at significant times, which takes us back to the days of dial up, because in the days of dial up, you could only check your email. If you you hit the button, it called the number, you know, you listen to that uh, 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 thing on the computer and, you know, then it dialed up, you you downloaded your mail, you closed the connection so that you could still use the phone. You dealt with your email and then you you hooked up again later. We need to we need to cut out that those periods of silence, and then when we come on Sunday morning, it's not going to be odd. Right. Uh, what right. would be ideal is if we didn't need those periods of silence on Sunday morning, because everybody was so used to meditating. Right, right. Uh, reading a book right now called uh, Mediated, and I would tell you the guy's last name. I'll put a link to it on, our, on the, uh, I the on podcast. The I can't pronounce it. It begins with a Z. Uh, Zada Heide, Heide, he's, I don't know. I can't pronounce it. But he says in that book, he, he gives the illustration of, imagine yourself, you're driving somewhere, your car breaks down on the way to Saskatchewan, and you've got no cell phone, your car's not working, that, I mean, the battery's died, the radio's not working, and he says, all of a sudden, everything becomes all too real. All of a sudden you notice the cracks in the sidewalk, the weeds blowing in the wind, the clouds moving in the sky, and you become insignificant, he says, because all of a sudden you realize this isn't all there for you. This wasn't something that was set up to to please you or to flatter you or to make you, to tell you how special you are. This was all put there by somebody much greater than you, and we need those moments, when we remove what what this author calls the mediation in our life, hmm. those mediated influences, and we get back to what really is reality, and that's when believing and repentance uh, become real.
1: Well, one of the things, if people want to... Um, I think both of our blogs, are, both Sean and I's blogs are listed on the website at Ordinary Means. Um but one of the things that I've become convinced of, oh, probably about the last year or so I've been thinking about it, is that American Christians are woeful at reading the other book, as I put it. Which is that historically, theology has talked about the fact that, that we have uh, two forms of revelation from God. We have uh, his word, a special revelation, we have general revelation. And we are all jazzed about a special revelation, Get, have no doubts about that at all. But our lives are deprived if we don't read the other book. And the other book is the place that I get quiet, because when I'm out walk, I have a particular place that I love to walk, that I go to, um, and nobody, nobody can get me there. I almost never see anybody, and it's one of those resets for me. It reminds me that no matter what has gone on, no matter how much stress there is, no matter what there is, that when I get out there and I see the bigness of what God has made, I'm reminded that this is just the tiniest little chip off the block about who God is. It it resets me, puts me back into connection with not the little things that are going on in in reality, but in the bigness of God and his ability, his worthiness to be worshipped, his ability to work through me as a pastor, in me as a husband and as a father. And I think that that's one of those things where um, that's, that's where I get quiet. Um, it's something that struck me. The reason I started thinking about it is it's something that, that typified the lives of both of Jonathan Edwards and of, um, I don't know, I, his name slipped my mind. Sean, remind the guy's name who went to the Indians, died when he was 29. Brainerd. David Brainerd. They, if, if you read their stuff, uh, Brainerd and, and Edwards, frequently what you find is they, they spent time in the woods. And it's just unknown to us. We, we would never go for a walk in the woods. Some of you don't have the ability to. Why is that? I I think it's because we've lost this this space. We've lost this silence. We've lost this meditation. And if you can't do that, hear this clearly, if you can't do that, it's almost impossible for you to profit from sermons. Because sermons are not something primarily... uh, You are struck in the moment, but all of us have been struck on a Sunday and forgotten by Monday. It's only if we're able to take what struck us on Sunday... And remember it and chew on it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. I had a wonderful experience last week where I preached a sermon, and one of the folks in my congregation emailed me on Monday and said, this sermon has really vexed me. Can you answer some questions for me? And we had a dialogue the whole week about it.
0: By the way, your pastors love it when you interact with them about the
1: the sermons. absolutely. Good, bad, or indifferent. We really don't care. Just tell us you are actually listening, Um, and, and that... Even if you disagree with us, that's fine, because at least you're thinking about it. Um, and that's what we work for many hours a week, is that God, we might be fit vessels for God to speak through us.
0: Yeah, the the, the typical thing we hear is people are walking out the door is, you know, great sermon, Pastor. Um, I have a group of teenage girls in my congregation who, uh, I love what they do. They come up after every service, and they always give me... Um, they usually give me one thing that they learned from the ser- from the sermon, and then they give me one completely random cultural reference that they were reminded of because of something I said in the sermon. Um, but, it's, but it's conversation, mm-hmm. and it's interaction with the Word of God, and I'm seeing that the Word of God is having an influence. It's those times when, as a pastor, we meet with people in our congregation, and they say, you know what? I, I stopped doing this, and I started doing this because of that sermon you preached. And we, where we go home, and we, we do leaps. We do cartwheels. We click our heels together, and we go, thank you, Lord. You've made it all worth it just for that one conversation. So we've got to prepare. We've got to get something out of the preaching by our preparation. So we've come into the service. We've sat down. We've prayed. I hope you've used that time even to pray for the service.
1: For the pastor, for, um, for the, the preaching, pastor. for the other people who are there. Yes. For the people who have yet to be there, who are still getting out of their cars. For the people who are unbelieving. Hopefully you know the text ahead of time that your pastor is going to preach on. At least you shouldn't be surprised when you or when you get there and you look at it in the bulletin. And you might think to yourself, boy, I know somebody who's really going to be hit by the sermon. It might be you or somebody else. Pray for them.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We We have a prayer meeting before anything begins on sunday morning and one of the things we pray for is uh is the people uh, specific people will pray for the people still brushing their teeth at home that they that the lord would bring them ready to hear so the service has begun and um obviously we're going to have the reading of the word we need to be attentive how about how about the singing
1: how can that prepare us for preaching I think that the design, in a well-designed service, um, the singing ought to fit with the flow of the service. And if your congregation has a large enough... um uh, bevy of songs that you sing regularly. Repertoire. Thank you. I couldn't pull the word out. Um, if you have a big enough repertoire, hopefully some of the songs perhaps are tied thematically with the sermon to help you think about it. At least the confession of faith, um, in- unless you're sequentially moving through a confession or something like that, may well be in our services. We tie that to the theme of the service. Really what the songs ought to do in the flow of the service together, um, from confession to assurance of pardon to... Um, thanksgiving to prayers is that it ought to flow towards the word. Uh, And what the singing ought to do really is to center us on God's worthiness to be worshipped, remind us of his character uh, early on, uh, remind us uh, in repentance, uh, whether you sing a song of repentance or whether you just uh, have a confession of sin, that we're reminded of our unworthiness and of our need to hear from God. Uh, And then as we sing with joy, we're, we're singing first our gratitude, and then we turn to the Lord and we say, for my gratitude. That's our stance in a sermon, is that we that each service should renew us, uh, renew our understanding of our guilt. It should lead us again back to the grace of God and to the cross of Christ. And then we, should, as we come in the sermon, we're asking the Lord, Lord, form my gratitude for your grace. Remake me like Christ. Show me where I need to repent, trust in Christ anew, and how my life needs to be formed.
0: To get that... To get the the service based around whatever the theme is, whatever the theme in the preaching of the Word of God is, that is going to require that the pastor is playing a role in the development of the overall service. Yes. Uh, Whether whether that means if you have somebody who particularly leads the singing, then the pastor needs to be interacting with that staff member during the week. There needs to be that relationship. Uh, There needs to be that role or else the service is going to be disjunct. Yes. And you want a service to be tied together. Another thing, uh, and this is something that I think men like John Piper do very, very well, uh, also Sinclair Ferguson does very, very well, is as a pastor, when they preach, they often refer to verses from hymns. Spurgeon was an expert was at this, and I am excellent at Horrible that. at this. Absolutely horrible. But it is. It serves as, a, as an illustration that speaks to the heart. And then the next time you sing that song, you've got something more of what I call it coat hangers. You've got a coat hanger to hang it on. You have something mm-hmm. to relate it to from the past that's already there in, in that closet in your brain. You've got something to tie it to. It's very, very helpful because then you're tying the uh, hymns to particular scriptures. And so as your people read these scriptures again and again, they'll be reminded of particular hymns. Their hearts will then be lifted in praise as that hymn begins to be sung uh, throughout their day.
1: Just maybe just one comment here. We need to go on to other uh, preparations about the worship. But there's a balance, and uh, my wife and I have good conversations about this, between how many songs a church regularly sings and, um, and, and having just too many. Uh, we have a minister friend where he tries not to hit any song more than twice a year. Uh, and there's value in that, in a congregation having a large selection of songs that they can sing. On the other hand, if you have too small a selection, the songs are too familiar. And so you've got to strive somewhere in the middle. Our our congregation sings about 100 songs over the course of a year, um, and some of them several times. But it, it, you want to have a large enough selection that you can tie it somewhat thematically But not so small that it's too familiar, because familiarity, unfortunately, breeds uh, not contempt, but we just sort of say the words, and we don't really mean them. And that's the very worst kind of singing we could do.
0: What's important to remember is the reaction to familiarity within the Christian church today has so often been, if it's rote, we just shouldn't do it. And that's not the answer that the Bible gives. The, the answer the Bible gives is that if it's if it's become rote, the problem is not with the practice per se. It may be, but the problem is generally not with the practice. The problem is with our heart. And so, if anything is rote, uh, this is one of the greatest arguments we hear against the Lord's Lord's Supper practiced mm-hmm. weekly is that all it will become rote, well, you turn that logic around and you say, well, then why are we preaching every week? Why are we singing every week? What, we prayed last week. Maybe we shouldn't do it this week because then it won't become rote. It just doesn't make sense. The problem is our hearts. And, and we, we need to say, you know what, we are not, not worthy. We are not preparing as we should. That's the first prayer we need to pray when we come in on Sunday morning. Lord, I haven't prepared as I should. Mm-hmm. Would you help me? To yep. worship you this morning. Yep. So, the sermon comes. The sermon has begun. You've read the text together as a congregation. Your Bible is open. It's on your lap. Um, your kids are now. If they're if they're very young, they're they're coloring probably. If they are a little bit older, they're they're drawing pictures related to the sermon. They're a little older than that. They're starting to write words and and so on and so forth to the point that they can take notes. Should we be taking notes? Does everybody have to take notes?
1: You know, I think it depends. Uh, I have a deacon who's an exceptional auditory learner, but he takes notes. Even though he struggles to remember what he writes, it helps him remember. There are few people who would not benefit from taking notes. Uh, for some people, it's distracting because they're thinking about how to take the notes instead of actually listening to the sermon. And, and that's not good. You can become a better note taker where you can do both at the same time. Really, the balance I think you want to strike is that if you can't on Monday either look back in your own mind or remember what was said, you need the notes. You need something that you have something to reflect with in your family. And yourself, uh, that you stick your notes in your Bible, and, and when you have your, either your family worship together or with your wife, or just by yourself, that you're able to look back and, and look briefly and review, what is it that God said on Sunday that I need to be thinking about?
0: Yeah, if we don't have some kind of recollection, how are we going to make a plan to apply that to our lives? Because that really is the next step after the sermon is we've got to go forth. And there's this the, the huge argument with among preachers of do you apply the text or not? How much do you apply? How specific do you apply? Well, the answer is you're never in the course of a 40-minute sermon. You are not going to be able to make every application that needs to be made. So we've got to take the sermon and apply it. To our lives, and the place that begins is with the taking of notes. Whether that's simply by your concentrating and developing uh, those points in your mind so that you remember the points, or whether it's a matter of writing them down. We have uh, every Saturday night. I sit down with my wife, and I read through my I read through my sermon with her. And as I'm reading it to her, she's typing on the computer, and she comes up with a list, two lists of questions. She comes up with a, a list of questions that goes in what we call our kids' sheet, which is questions the kids will answer as they're listening to the sermon. And then the second list is uh, something that the families take home, and that is questions you know, for the lunch table. Uh, how do we dig deeper? How do we apply this to our lives? Um, we need to be able to have those kinds of things, whether or not Uh, you're good at taking notes and whether or not, you know, oftentimes I was just talking with a family this week who said, uh, it was actually the, the wife told me that her husband just takes copious notes, but she was concerned that he takes them home and then he sets them on the dresser. He never looks at them again. And I said, well, you know, part of taking notes is simply that action of forcing your body to work kinesthetically in multiple ways. You're appealing to multiple senses, and by appealing to more than one sense at a time, you're going to ingrain that scripture, Lord willing, you're going to ingrain that scripture uh, in your heart. It's going to help you to hide that text in your heart uh, more than if you were just sort of sitting there
1: spacing out. Hopefully. And those discussion questions, I think um, we, we do those also. That was recommended to me in a class that I did in worship in my, in my church. I didn't always do those. I usually uh, put an outline in the bulletin for people to put questions on. And, and one lady said, you know what, it would really help me if you gave me some questions to think about. And I said, I'd be happy to do that. It takes me a few minutes to develop suitable, open-ended discussion questions that remind people, Make them remember what were the main points of the sermon, and in particular, what might be first steps of application for them. How could I begin to, you know, and, and helping them think through implications? Um, some of you, if you were to listen to a podcast like this, uh, might be uh, ahead of your congregation in terms of their biblical knowledge or their doctrinal knowledge. And, and I've been in that spot at times in my Christian life. Uh, and sometimes when you sit under preaching, and, and I've not always done this well, but you sit under preaching sometimes and you go, boy, there just wasn't much there for me. I kind of already knew this. Well, then that then your job's just begun if you're in that situation. Now you've got to do the heavy lifting of saying, okay. This is a word from God, and the applications that the, the preacher mentioned, those are things that God's already at work on, but what are some more ways? What are some things that I haven't pondered before? Some ways in which this applies more than I've thought about. Maybe even ways that I'm, I've am i been resisting. And, and so, really, the work begins after you you hear it well. Something that
0: I don't think we always think about when we're sitting in the pew is that that guy up there that the pastor oh that guy that guy has has actually sat in the pew before yeah and that that same man who's standing up there preaching has uh fallen asleep during sermons before because he had a late night on saturday night and that uh that pastor when he was sitting in the pew had had many of the same struggles that you do matt what do you do when you're sitting in the pew and your brain is just flying a million in
1: one directions it's tough. It's tough. It's, it's, I think it's especially tough for, for people of Sean and I's age and younger. We're used to, to absolute sensory overload. It's a very challenging thing to be single track, period, for, especially for a projected period of time. But I think that where I try and go is I try and, um, and this may sound weird to you, but I'll just give you my experience as a believer. I try and actually be talking to the Lord as I'm listening to a sermon. And that helps me stay engaged, is I treat it like it is God speaking to me.
0: Like, and a, con- I say, like a conversation. Exactly.
1: So the, the preacher will say something, and I'll go, Lord, boy, I just never thought about you that way. Or I never thought about me that way. I don't think I've grasped that truth before, Lord. And I will actually be conducting in my mind a reverent conversational prayer with the Lord where I am i call it, I'm actually transacting with God while he's speaking through the preacher. And I think that's the way that I try and get back and I try and remember, look, you got 52 shots a year to hear God. I, I'd like to be involved in that. Um, Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I get fifty two shots a year, forty minutes at a pop, to hear God directly speak in a way that He does in no other way. So I I, I want to take this seriously. I, I want to grow in this. I want to see this this happen.
0: We need uh that's one of the that's one of the ways that note taking can help. Yeah, is is by focusing you by bringing mm-hmm. focus back. I know one of my practices is I use the bulletin uh, copiously, that little, any any spaces on the bulletin that I can find, if something comes to my mind, and you know me, I'm an organizational freak, uh, when something comes to my mind that I need to do something that needs to be, I, I create a to-do list, and sometimes I'll leave a service if I'm sitting in the pew, and I will have a list of 15, 20 things that I need to do, but simply by writing it on my bulletin, and setting it aside, it's out of my mind. Well, and I know I won't forget it. Right. And so I can come back to
1: it later, and now I can focus. Right. And I think that's part of the preparations on Saturday night and on Sunday morning. One of my elders frequently prays, and I, I've grown in my appreciation for this prayer, that in our, our elders get together and they pray right before the service. And one of the things that he consistently prays is, Lord, help us to separate ourselves from the busyness of the week that has passed and the busyness of the week that's to come. And that I think that we're so unused to not allowing our minds to free flow, that we're used to the requirements of, of mothering at home or of working in the office, or getting everything done that needs to be done at home. We're used to multitasking all the time. It's extraordinarily difficult for us to single task. And so we have to give ourselves permission to single task. And the only way you can give yourself permission to single task, and I do this frankly, I'm just being honest here, as a pastor horribly. Sometimes my concentration while I'm leading worship is atrocious. Um, I do much better. You're going to think this is crazy. I do much better leading evening services because I'm tired and my mind's not moving as quickly. It's wonderful. It's absolutely great. My worship is way better in the evening than it is in the morning. So it's even more incumbent upon me to set aside consciously Write down with Sean saying the things that are distracting me, the things I need to get done. Have prayed ahead of time if I have worries or concerns, so that I am, I have, I have freed myself to be there and to be with God and with His people, and I freed myself to be single track.
0: Another issue, one of our, uh, that some of our listeners are going to run into is, well, you know, I've got kids. And how in the world am I supposed to focus during a sermon when I've got kids? Just I'll give you one I'll give you one suggestion that I've found really helpful in those times. I think last year I was in the sitting in our pews about eight eight times out of 52. But what I would do is I'd sit between uh, my two older girls, and I would actually draw. And you know you know this about me, Matt, is is I draw pictures when I take notes. Is I would draw pictures of what the preacher was preaching and then show them to the girls I'd be drawing for the girls it was both helping me to focus to think uh, visually about what he was saying in an auditory way and it was helping my girls on either side of me to be focused on oh that's what's that's what's important here that's the point that I need to get
1: if that's and that's wonderful Um, we've gotten my family and it's difficult for preacher's families it's not saying it's easy for other families but when you got two parents in the pew it's a little bit easier than one yes Um, so our Carry an especially heavy burden, but um, two books that we'll recommend again um, in particular for helping your children and you get ready for Sunday and participate well in Sunday. Um, Parenting in the Pew, this is a new second edition that's out by Robbie Castleman, and Making Sunday Special, that'll be one you're going to have to get used um, by Karen Burton Mains. And both of those have a number of suggestions. And one of the things, frankly, that can help your children learn to sit on Sunday is to have them sit every night. We spend, I think I mentioned this last month, we spend at least an hour at the table every night. And that's in your chair. And some of that is listening to the Bible, some of that's praying, some of that's singing. And our kids are more used to, for their age level, sitting still and engaging in something over a prolonged period of time just because they're used to it.
0: If only adults were so used to sitting. We get, we get up and, and move around so much. Uh, whether in our work, whatever we're doing, we're just so busy during the week. We don't get that time of sitting, and so we don't feel comfortable sitting in the pew. Another thing we need to say is that whatever method you pick or whatever works for your family to keep focused, you don't have to do that continually. You can try different things. You can hop back and forth. I know for me, what helps me to stay focused is if I do vary how I listen. Sometimes I'll take notes. Sometimes I don't take notes. Sometimes I'll, you know, draw the pictures for the kids. Sometimes I won't. It just will depend on what's working. It's very pragmatic, in a sense. When you get down to the nitty-gritty of sitting in a pew, it, it, there's a good, good amount of pragmatics that goes into it. Absolutely. How, how can I sit here? Now, what's going to help the pastor as I'm sitting in the pew? What Mm. should I be doing in relationship to the pastor?
1: Don't look glazed. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get that foggy look. Yeah, having expression in your face is marvelous for your pastor. Um, I don't care if you look scared or weepy (laughs) or smiling because you actually thought that joke that I said was funny. Um, Are we allowed to talk from the pew? Can we say amen? I, I mean, is that okay? For Presbyterians? Well, my to family's going to be at your church this Sunday. You tell us. <laughs> there you go. Um, I, my preaching style, and you can listen, to my sermons are on my website, but my preaching style, the way I characterize it, is that it's dialogical. Uh, I'm actively engaging people. I ask them questions, and sometimes I actually ask them for an answer. Yes. Um, and I think that that doesn't reduce the propheticness of preaching. Nobody misses the, in my preaching that this is serious business. But I want them to be engaged. um I'll let them finish this past Sunday. I'll let them finish a cultural slogan for me because I want them engaged in it, and I think that they're they' it's uh it's helpful, so yeah, I think that people it, what you want is you want people engaged um and if that's a way that can help them be engaged, then so be it. um, you don't want it just to be wrote, hey man, hey man preach your breed your yeah. brother, you know not that, but just that yeah. Yeah, that's a solid truth. I I needed to hear that. And if that's what your amen means, then please say it. Please say it. So we need
0: to be interacting. Uh, We need to eye contact. contact. We need to maintain eye contact. We need to continue to be praying for the preacher during that time. We need to, I know sometimes I've looked out in the congregation, and uh, there have been people who are so uh, engaged in it that I actually giggle to myself, sort of in the in the midst of the sermon, because I wasn't expecting to see that person looking at me, and and that can actually get uncomfortable when you're used to a congregation that's always looking down. Right. All of a sudden, you look out and there's there's a couple of people looking right at you. Uh, that can that can be a little throw you off a little bit as a pastor, but it's it's wonderful to see people engaged, and that's going to encourage your pastor to, you know, as they say in in, in the good black churches, preach it. You know, uh, that uh, that sense of uh, calling the pastor to, to keep pressing forward, uh, what Horatio Bonar calls it, uh, driving or pounding the Word of God into the people's hearts. And when we see that kind of interaction as a pastor, it's going to press us forward, and our preaching is going to be better, simply by you maintaining eye contact, right. As as strange as that might seem any any closing thoughts Matt as we we've talked about coming to the service uh, we've talked about during the preaching, taking notes, maintaining eye contact, interacting with the preacher uh, obviously then uh, usually the the church will then have the uh, the table, the the supper of the Lord um, and then a, a closing benediction, often a closing song and I, we really recommend that pastors would tie that closing song to the sermon because it makes that song so much more I, dare I say the word, relevant uh, to the people. Yep. Even yep. perhaps a, a hymn that you quoted within the, within the context of the sermon. And then we take it home. I mean, we talked about that at the beginning. Mm-hmm. We take it
1: home, we apply it's, it to our lives. And this is part of, of setting aside the Lord's Day is that what our afternoon in part or our evening in part is about. Uh, and my kids are young. My kids are 2, 4, and 6. We don't do this yet, but I look forward to the day that, that we're not putting kids down to nap and um, everything at, at right when we get home from church. But instead, we leisurely sit around the table with our kids and maybe with another family. And uh, we pull out the discussion questions and we say, Well, you know, what did the Lord say today? And, and and what needs to be different in our family because of this? What needs to be different in the way we interact with my brothers and my sisters, and or my husband and my wife and my coworkers? What what is my life going to look like different? What am I even if it's not that there's a whole bunch of imperatives things I need to go do, but there's a lot of indicative. How did I become more convinced that Christ is for me? That the gospel is wonderful. That grace is incredible. How sinful I am. Um, all of those things that as we um, as we say it out loud. Uh, it it is more cemented in our hearts
0: well that's good that's very good stuff I hope you've uh, benefited from this podcast join us next month when we're going uh, to talk about uh, leg exercises that you can do uh, during the service to keep you awake and uh in 52 short weeks, you can have the body of your dreams. No, that's not our January podcast.
1: We will not be solving restless leg syndrome.
0: We no- we will not be doing that. But we will be back in January, uh, Lord willing, serving you in, in a new way. Uh, we hope that this has served you um, this month, and we hope and pray that the Lord would bless you in extraordinary ways as you continue to seek him through his ordinary means. Thank you.